Welcome to this episode of the Seed Seller Academy Podcast, sponsored by the Seed Seller Blueprint Live, number one program on how to sell to farmers. We teach salespeople how to make selling easier than ever before. We show them how to take price, the need for programs, and the need for proof of performance out of the conversation and get the producers to not just buy, but follow their lead. As smart as today's farmers are, things are changing so fast. They don't know what they don't know. So not only do we make selling easier, we show sellers how to help farmers raise higher yields than they ever thought possible or could do on their own. This episode is also brought to you by the Sales Handling Objection Playbook. How do you respond when a farmer says you got beat by 20 bushels this year? Do you have any test plot data? It's too early to order. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet. Or my personal favorite, I can save $40,000 in seed costs by buying your competitor's seed cheaper. The Handling Sales Objection Playbook gives salespeople a step-by-step process, including word-for-word scripts on how to handle the most common comments and objections farmers give salespeople who call on them. Just go to the rcthomas.com playbook to purchase this exclusive training tool today. We don't teach the old way of doing things. We teach the 21st century way farmers buy. We're the only source for that kind of information. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Seed Seller Academy podcast. We're so happy you joined us today. This is a very special day. I'm with a very special person, Clint Johnson, uh, formerly of Milbourne Seeds, founder of Milbourne Seeds in Brookings, South Dakota, who happened to be one of my first retainer clients I had at R.C. Thomas Company. I was with Clint probably for a little over three years or so, I think, I worked a uh, retainer with Clint, uh, helping him get his, his new business going. And after about three-year period, Clint was this young eagle that just took off and flew the business and into what we're going to be talking about today, an incredible growth story. In fact, it is probably the most successful story about growing a business, a small business to a business that's very significant business today. Um, in a short period of time is probably the most significant story I have to tell in my entire career. So I really appreciate Clint's time today. Clint, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you. Thank you, Rod. You're thank welcome. Thank you for your kind oh, words. Thank you. Yes. And uh, so I'd like to just start out a little bit by uh, telling us a little about where you grew up. And uh, we'll get into the whole business segment, that whole growth thing a little later. But tell us where you grew up and how you got, uh, you know, through school and how you got started the business. Start sure. from, from scratch. Yeah. I, I grew up on a farm uh, outside of Roseville, Minnesota, so way at the top. I've got one older brother, uh, my family farm up there, and we raised a little combination of some small grains but also grass seed. Okay. And then worked for neighboring farms, uh, played hockey, the only sport kind of fit with the culture up there, but uh-huh. also with the farming schedule as well. Okay. Uh, after uh, high school, I went to Bemidji State University, uh, pursued a degree in industrial technology, a BS in that, and I was a manufacturing engineer for six years, and then I was introduced ultimately to uh, the the guy who started Melbourne Seeds. Okay, so how did you get in the business? Did you just buy the business, or how did you get in the business? Yeah, so uh, Melbourne had been in existence for about 12 years, um, and I was just, I was introduced to the owner. I was a it was a three person company at that time, and it was a, a really neat timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company I was with in the Twin Cities, Donaldson Company, uh, they sent me kind of throughout the U.S. and into Mexico for manufacturing engineering support, 
and my wife and I were either going to move to Aguascalientes, Mexico, <laughs> or Brookings, South Dakota. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, just started out with a lunch and conversation over here in uh, December of 2000. Nice. Very yeah. good. So you play hockey. Do you still play hockey today? So uh, the last time I put on skates was was this winter around Christmas time. Okay. Uh, we had a we had a wonderful uh, pond hockey game on uh, Lower Whitefish Lake uh, up at our cabin. Oh, wow. cool. It was the best hour and a half on uh, on ice. <laughs> the old man still plays, huh? Uh, this this the skates still work. <laughs> and your son plays hockey. Yeah, both both boys uh, okay. skate and play. Both and them do. yeah, you have three children. Three kids. Okay. Yeah, our youngest is sixteen. The next is nineteen, and our daughter is twenty-one. Yes, I met them all at, at growing since I first met them a few years ago. But what a beautiful young, beautiful family. And your wife Heather, uh, who was I'm sure a great support over the years as you. Uh, grew the company. She really was. Uh, thank, thanks again for the kind words of, of our family. Yeah. Uh, gosh, my wife, yeah, absolute uh, a partner in all those years. The beginning, I would say three, more like probably five years. Initially, it's like survival and, and yeah. so much to learn and, yeah. and getting into a business. And, and then, of course, with a lot of your help and learning how to uh, really set up a business and, and how to look and act and, and uh, perform much differently than other companies we competed against but my wife was yeah just an absolute rock through this whole whole time frame that's awesome um i'm going back to the hockey for a minute uh pretty competitive sport do you have some of that competitiveness in you is that what drove you to you know take millboard the way it is today yeah I, i think first um if i were to describe what's the core of my dna it would be adventure okay uh i'm i'm a pretty chill guy but i i'm very competitive and i love adventure uh-huh. and i think for us either going to mexico for work uh, or coming to brookings it was it was like that adventure mm-hmm. uh competitive wise oh gosh you know playing hockey i didn't i didn't play college hockey but uh youth and through high school uh hockey is just a very intense sport mm-hmm. uh you, you've got 45 second shifts out there yeah. giving it all you've you've <laughs> got and it's such a dynamic game mm-hmm. And I think playing for different coaches throughout the years, uh, picking up a lot of what not to do and how not to be as a coach, um, and, and some little pieces too as well as you know what the good things the coaches were doing, yeah. comes right to business. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you bought the business, a small business, had like three employees, you said, or something yeah. like that in the business. Yeah. What transpired after that? What? How did you decide to, first of all, what you're going to do next. I mean, you had this seed company here. Uh, what was your next move? Yeah. Well, there were, I, I had hired a couple people, so we were up to uh, four and five full-timers, and I think it was really just this realization of we have competition, we have customers, of course we have suppliers, but uh, if, if we're going to excel at this game, how can we change? How do we need to change? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we know the environment, uh, the the marketplace is is going to change with or without us, and we can either uh, put the pressure on us internally, or uh, the marketplace will put pressure on us. Mm-hmm. So we really internalized that, and for me, it really started out with just thinking about. Uh, I had I had three years at Marvin Windows, large privately owned company. It was a great experience. Worked for some really great people there, and. Taking those experiences, uh, after that I worked at Donaldson Company as a manufacturing engineer and, again, pulling out the great experiences and, and then, of course, the list of what not to do and, yeah. and trying to apply my work experience, hockey, yeah. uh, playing as a youngster yeah. and, and applying it to business. Yeah. yeah. So what did you, when you started at Melbourne, had Melbourne, what, was, what did you see as your most important role? 
What did you have to do right away besides, you know, try to keep the doors open? Yeah. Uh, what did you have to do? Well, there, there was a term I was not familiar with at that time, but servant leadership mm-hmm. and just serving that, that internal team, taking care of each other and, and building culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was something I really learned, again, back to playing hockey and also my work experiences at Marvin and, and Donaldson. Um, you know, really defining what our culture, what we wanted it to be, mm-hmm. and just improving upon that and building it every single day. You seemed to impress me early on when we first got together. Uh, I wouldn't say you were impatient at all. I think you're a very quiet, patient guy. Have a lot more patience probably than I do. But it seemed like you really wanted to get it going. You really weren't afraid to, to step out and try something new and, and do some things. I mean, you were talking about expansion uh <laughs> uh, things about expanding your business far beyond when I was thinking about that too. I mean, you were ready to, to ready, ready go. At what point did you see that uh, this was really going to start working for you? At what point did the business really start to ramp up? I really think it was about five years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had learned a lot. We were trying to apply as much as we were learning, and really trying to figure out what did, what did our customer base need. Um, and how could we serve them better? Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just supplying seed, we knew we had to do a lot more. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we had competitors who were just supplying seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think just that you know internal fire in our bellies um, meant a lot. Um, but I would say again, part of our DNA was just we were going to we wanted to learn. We were hungry, and we wanted to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, much, much, much more and greater than uh, yeah. what was else was going on in the marketplace. It seems like, and even today, as I look through your amazing facility here, uh, that you've surrounded yourself with a lot of great people. Do you think that was one of your fortes? Is hiring? Absolutely. I would go back to, again, it's probably work experiences and just th- there were certain people that I was a, a part of a team and gosh some worked really well and and you know some didn't um we had team players and and some folks you know brought a lot of value to the table and and some didn't so what i you know one of the things i knew at at melbourne and it was just uh i had to grow this place with people who were better than me at the different Ah. disciplines that it takes to run a business really well and so i'm I'm a very relational guy I, i i'm a network builder and so as as we added to the team, I kept growing the network, which you know helped us add future rock stars to this place. And it's really cool coming back. Uh, I've I've been away from Melbourne now for almost two years. Yeah, because your partner, or well, your your used to be right hand man, we'll call him early on in yeah. the business, just a young guy. Yeah, is now the owner of Melbourne. R- right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I I made Matt. Uh, uh, business partner a handful of years ago and, and just sold the business to him um, in October of 19. Nice. And it's really neat, though, coming back and seeing how solid the team is mm-hmm. and how they've they've taken the, the founding principles and just kept adding to them and, and yeah. adding really great people. It looks like the what the culture you integrated early on is still intact very strongly here at Millboard. As we come in, in the front door, your fellow at the front desk, big smile on his face, greeting us right away, telling us his name. Everyone here is so friendly. Uh, I don't think I'm surprised, but I'm elated that it's still there because that's what you indoctrinated uh, indoctrinated into the organization early on. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's really neat, um, whether it's every once in a while I I call here uh, and and swing by just to say hello to the the team and and meet new people who've started. 
and it's yeah it's incredible seeing a lot of the basics that we put in place years ago yeah. that they're still there and they've only gotten better yeah. yeah so what about the seed business as you look at it now more from the outside uh and obviously you know you'll never get away from it because you're that's part of your dna also when you look at the seed business today what does the industry need more of hmm. I th- when in terms of change uh I think one of our approaches is we needed to influence our own industry. And so the folks that we interacted with over the years, of course, suppliers, uh, our internal team, uh, customer base, but also those folks who influence the business. And, and the business was really in, in the, it's a multi-cylinder engine, uh, be it cover crops or conservation and reclamation or, or even food plots and cover crop, uh, I'm sorry, food plots, um, erosion control, those kinds of, of different niches, uh, we needed to become a leader, and, and that's what they're doing such a great job of now, but to become a leader in each of those areas to influence the industry and, and not just provide value and have interaction with customers, but to actually do what's right for the industry as a whole. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think in early on you called yourself the grass seed specialist. <laughs> Because that's a position that we, we took together yes. yep. because you wanted people to know that that's what you do really, really well, right? Yeah. Obviously, you do a little bit more than that now today, but the point was that you wanted to be that leader in that area, quality-wise, service-wise, all the other kind of things. Um, so what is your vision of the marketplace today? All the consolidations taking place, all the things that are changing out there, how the consumer changes and took more of a commoditized level of thinking and they want things cheap. Uh, on time right away. What's your vision of where that industry is going? Yeah, I think that over over the time, and, and that, so I was 19 years in this business, and I think some of the things that, that played well for us is just consolidation of some companies, some closures of, of certain locations, uh, and, and we were already, you know, in those geographic areas perhaps or, or within that product group. And so our, our, our strength was actually, you know, just able to really blossom and show yeah. even more. I think as, you know, things that happen in the corn and soybean business, of course, affect a, a lot of different industries. Sure. And as, as that has changed, since we don't, they don't sell corn and soybeans, it's, it's these different niches, uh, to, to act and be and deliver so differently is um, a, a strength that is mm-hmm. just, just continued to be recognized mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, and I'm going to continue to to whip this horse because I think it's a great horse to ride right now, is as you did that, you did that with a team of people who like what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I've known these people now for a number of years, and they're still here. Since the day they were hired, I was here uh, and watched them grow, and I I saw them at your son's graduation, and they're just happier than ticks on fat dogs, as we say, for to still be here and, and do what they're doing. Right. Yeah, definitely the the team of folks that there are some long term and and of course over time they've added to the team and that is uh, I mean it just it proves that one uh, a great things happen with great people mm-hmm. and certainly uh, they're a happy bunch. Yeah, they really are. They love what they're doing. Yeah, they love who they're working with and yeah. and the customer base we uh, yeah. they serve. So could you still start a grass seed company today? I mean, can people do it? You know, I, the quick answer is, is yes. I mean, I think any type of business can be started uh, regardless of the timing. I think any time is a great time to, to start a business. Uh, it, it would be very challenging, 
but I think that could be said of, of any kind of business. What I, would I you what would your advice be? Yeah. Oh gosh. Strap in. It's gonna be <laughs> gonna be quite a ride. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What do I need to do? I think one is is just uh, really understand what are define and understand the, the basic what are the principles of business. Mm-hmm. You know, as consumers we get all kinds of experiences or, or we yeah, we we have several experiences, buying vehicles, buying groceries, going to a restaurant, and some do it really well and some don't. And I think to really take note of what do the good experiences, uh, what does that mean? And and what did they do to make that a good experience? Mm -hmm. Again, anything we consume, whether it's, you know, an online experience or a live one, Mm -hmm. and really define what what that means to, you know, you as that entrepreneur perhaps, and and then... uh, Boy, roll up your sleeves because there's a lot of work in defining uh, the details of yeah. specific processes. And wow, you just nailed it because our we our in our seed seller blueprint. The very first step in our blueprint is delivering a buyer experience. And how do you deliver that? What does buyer experience look like? And so many companies uh, we have our people rate themselves and what their experience is through different kinds of questions. And almost everyone that rates themselves uh, comes out the fact they don't have a buyer experience. They don't. They can't define it. Mm-hmm. The customer doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And if they get somebody on new, they don't know what it is either because they haven't laid it out what's going to happen from the time I deal with you the first time until we're going to have this, this career together, right? So you're exactly right. And I think as you, as I watch Millborn continue to grow, it looks like your customers are having an experience with you. They're having fun. They're having the, some kind of relationship built that's really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you nailed the essence of that that part of it. I, I do, yeah. and, and thank you. Um, I, I think the biggest telltale of that is is loyalty mm-hmm. with the customer base, but also uh, for how open they they will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with just a little feedback when things don't go smoothly. Of course, you know, as uh, the, the either the sales rep or customer service support, they need to know. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's an indicator of of a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you communicate with your employees? I mean, as, as your company grew, and when you uh, left, what, two or three years ago? Yeah, almost uh, two. How many employees did you have at that time? Yeah, so uh, full-time, uh, yeah. around two dozen, and okay. then a very similar number with, with part-timers. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, what was your method of empl- uh, communicating as the top guy? Yeah, well, um, if we under-communicate, whether in any type of relationship, uh, the other person or persons will fill in the blanks. And I would say for a lot of years, my communication as, as a leader and owner wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing my best, and I knew it had to happen. But, boy, that's something we really, really put a lot of focus on starting probably about seven, seven eight years ago. In what way? Uh, in terms of quality of communication and, and quantity. And that was it's really keeping the team not only in the loop on what's going on, because we want everyone to feel like they're a part of of a lot going on, mm-hmm. not just their specific part uh, or role they play in a process, um, but but they're they're essential and, and super important with uh, you know a, a direction we're taking and, and building on a business. So, for example, uh, and and I believe they're still doing it, but there's a weekly team wide meeting, uh, different reports, different team or different team leaders within the company. Uh, have specific things that they talk about, uh, not just with their own people, but with everyone in in the company. Good, and that's yeah, that's just one one mm-hmm. example. That's awesome. A lot of one on one time though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. 
Uh, I, I truly, I think what added to that in communication is just I really truly cared about each team member mm-hmm. uh, and their family. Yeah. 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 Because, we, you know, one of the things I knew is, is I needed the best version of each teammate showing up every day. And, you know, we don't always uh, get that chance of being 100% every day. So. Well, that's, that's, that speaks so loudly about this one-on-one understanding of, you know, is the family doing okay? This one-on-one is, is just huge in everything. So in addition to that, how did you incentivize your people? Mm. Was it monetarily? Was it or I got to have a party? Uh, what kind of things did you use to incentivize your keep your people interested? Yeah, I, I think a lot of different things. One is uh, even though I'm I'm pretty reserved and, and maybe at times a, a bit quiet, uh, I've got a goofy side to me, and and so uh, uh, gosh, I mean, goofy prizes to uh, <laughs> you know high fives and, and different types of, of greetings and goodbyes at the end of the day. Um, but also uh, because everyone plays plays a significant role in, I mean, everyone has a sales role here, mm-hmm. whether it's an internal uh, uh, type of relationship or, or with a customer base or a supplier or a vendor of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we always had uh, incentive, and sometimes it's in the form of commission, bonus dollars, or profit sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, t- you know, time off, uh, some company events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked about everybody has a sales role. Is that something you purposely injected in everyone's mentality that says, hey, you know what? We're all in sales at some level. We all are responsible for creating customers. Yeah. Uh, because that's oftentimes in companies, especially as they grow, they start getting these silos built. You're fitting in, okay, this is my territory. I'm not in sales. I'm in production. I'm in research or whatever. Right. Um, was that something you purposely injected into your people? Yeah, a- Absolutely. I think one of the, the simple definitions of, of culture is actions and attitude. And what we knew is, is, one, we had to treat each other incredibly well. We, you know, the team spent a lot of time with each other. Uh, but even as we interacted with the UPS driver, the truck drivers that came and, and uh, you know, delivered or picked up goods, we needed to treat them really well. And, nice. I, you know, I thought it was really neat if, if we were, you know, grilling some food, be it lunchtime or, or an evening of saying, hey, Mr. Truck Driver, come on nice. in and, you know, we'll, we'll uh, share some of our salmon with you. Yeah. And, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so, it, yeah, always a sales role. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool. But, but it had to be part of the culture. Yeah. And, and reinforced. Yeah. Defined, what mm-hmm. does it look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then reinforcing it over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So as the company grows, how did you depend on that being passed down? Because oftentimes it's always a good idea uh, for the founders of the company, it had been working well, but as you get bigger, it kind of gets watered down sometimes. How did you ensure that that didn't get watered down? Yeah. Were you the messenger or was somebody? I mean, how did this work? Multiple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it, it always, you know, it doesn't have to start with the top. I think anyone within the company can be the leader, but as, as ownership, you know, we need to be very intentional and make certain things mm-hmm. uh, keep happening. Mm-hmm. And so with that, uh, there was a lot of just, you know, trying to find people doing the good stuff that mm-hmm. reinforced what our culture was yeah. and, and being quite public about mm-hmm. it. And if that is con- continuously done, people make it habit. Yeah. yeah. So let's put our sales hat on for a minute. Obviously, uh, you know, starting the company, there was no secret to somebody had to sell, and you did, obviously. Uh, yeah. So we, a lot of people watching this podcast are in sales. 
So when you went to call on a company uh, or go to a, a someone, a farmer, anybody to, to sell them seed, what, what, were, what were you telling them they could get? I mean, what, what were you offering and, and were you prepared and, and your, was your sales story there together? And, you know, how, how did you visualize yourself coming out of manufacturing? I think it was manufacturing, right? Yep. Pretty much. Right. A pretty technical field you came out of into a, a field that's a lot less technical in some cases, uh, but requires social skills about, you know, managing, talking to people and those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> What'd you tell them they were going to get by working with Millboard Seed? Right. Well, it's it's been uh, probably over 15 years <laughs> since I've I've worn a, a sales hat directly to uh, our customer base. But um, I mean, very proud to say that you know, uh, after those years of of wearing the hat myself, uh, I, I was just I was really pumped that our customers or even prospective clients were going to get the best forage specialist or the best folks with within conservation uh, within a very very large area mm-hmm. if not the US mm-hmm. uh, but I think the approach there was you know not just raising perceptions but bringing executables that were gonna help that uh, operation you know be it a farm or a construction type business or a, or a city uh, you know park and rec department but really change there, in some cases, really changed the trajectory of, of a farm. Yes. Yeah, for years and years. Especially now when, when cover crops and these kinds of things are really more in vogue than ever mm-hmm. and needed yeah. uh, environmentally and everything else. Yeah. You can, you can, a farmer can truly see a difference uh, in getting the right species on the right acre and those kind of things, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And it takes someone with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what's, what's really neat about... Um, how, how Milborn is set up uh, product-wise, geographic spread is just our, uh, the specialists learn over so many different experiences, conditions and, and climate types that uh, the guidance they could give on specific situations were, I think, well-proven. Uh, as you well know, just it's, it's needed, advice is needed uh, with just so many variables mm-hmm. and specific to farming. You've put a lot of work together because I've got your, uh, I don't want to call it a catalog, but it's what it's your workbook <laughs> to, yeah, to me right. that uh, has all the species in it, at least a lot of them that you sell, uh, how to manage it, how to grow it, all this kind of information that these producers, if I was a producer, I would want that. I'd mm-hmm. want that on my shelf yeah. because not only do I need the quality and the service, I want that, but I really want to do the right, make the right decision. Yeah. It looks to me like you spent a lot of time, and maybe that's where your technical background comes in, is putting all that information together to today's farmers, today's construction people who say, I can't make a mistake. I can't afford a mistake. I have to have the right thing the first time I buy from you. And I have to make sure if they're a reseller, I have to make sure that I sell my customer the right thing. And it looks like you've made a pretty good effort there on the knowledge side as well as pulling your people together uh, in terms of what they should say in, a, with a, in front of a grower. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's also one of the joys of, of coming back and visiting and just seeing what a great job the uh, the team has done in, in growing that, that Millbourne book, mm-hmm. um, that customers, uh, I mean, they're, they're in tractor cabs and they're on pickup seats <laughs> and they, uh, they, they keep them and they use them. Yeah. Um, but it does. It gives a, a glimpse of uh, the the depth and, and the, the just the power behind Milbourne and that mm-hmm. brand 
uh, for the for that end user. Yes, um, I think one of the the things that we really stood by over the years is is not being a part of the race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I think what a disservice some companies are doing with uh, trying to save uh, farmers specifically how to save them money. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we do need to be careful with our expenses, mm-hmm. absolutely, um, but. That was never our approach. Mm-hmm. It was how much value could we bring, mm-hmm. and how could we help them become more profitable? Yeah, and not just short term, but especially for the long haul. Yeah, yeah. And that is the elephant in the room today: is price. Yeah. Help. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time that farmers are beginning to think more like society than they are farmers because of all the pressure they've gotten for the big box mentality. Let's get it cheap. Let's get it. You know, everything I want, but I want it cheaper. Yeah. Then they've got it. When the real the real value that they get comes from the person who's representing that company uh, and delivering the high quality product, so <clears throat> over the years, as I remember, uh, you weren't the cheapest by far. Nope. In fact, I think you were pretty much premium priced all I, the years I've known you. Is that still that way? It is still that way. <clears throat> when I think of uh, some of the the suppliers that Milborn has used over the years, and I think like I, IT is is a great example where. Uh, and I think right now the company is on probably its its fifth vendor, um, and that's just the company has outgrown uh, that field five times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our operation or, or kind of mode of operation with that is is we want to engage with a company that's got stability, uh, depth, extremely low turnover, and they're the best at what they mm-hmm. do, and and cheap is not a part of that equation mm-hmm. like it, it just cannot be cannot be and and i and we want to partner with and it's really a partnership mm-hmm. i mean if this place even has a hiccup for an hour that means a lot mm-hmm. uh in, in the it example here and so we we want everything and and uh we know that that's that's going to come at a price mm-hmm. and and we want to we want profitable vendors yes yeah yeah if they're profitable that means they're probably doing something right 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 and yeah. that's your case too i mean here you have this 52,500 uh, square foot facility and you're ready to build another one just like it yeah connected to it yeah. <laughs> because you've outgrown this yeah. this is like your third or fourth third move I think but yeah. first maybe first structure you've actually built I don't did you rent the other place or uh, we, we own that <coughs> you own that too yeah <clears throat> but anyway the, the growth has been phenomenal yeah at at uh, and that takes obviously investment but the investment has to me has gone into your customers into your employees uh, yeah. who are the reason for your growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Part of part of the model was, I mean, keep investing in the business. And they have uh, even, I think, ramped that up more. The more we invest in this business and our team, the better we can serve the customer base. Yeah. 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 So what's Clint Johnson going to do now? What What are you up to at your young age? And <laughs> yeah. You're going to play some hockey? Or what are you going uh, to do? Well, at least one annual game a you year. You ride a motorcycle, I know. Yeah, I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Indian Motorcycle okay. Company. Okay. Um, and do you so, own part of it? Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't even think I do indirectly. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I buy a new machine every uh, five years. <laughs> okay. That's that's my only ownership. Okay. Uh, you know, it's... it's uh, it's it's pretty neat having uh, available time, uh, time to to spend more with with friends um, who are you know maybe they're making transitions with uh, their their careers, mm-hmm. um, and and I yeah there are a handful of relationships that have just gotten deeper because there's there's a real need and 
uh, you know, it's, it's really in a, a friend-to-friend way. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were something I would, you know, in a, in a business maybe type setting, it would be, you know, formal coaching. But yeah. um, Are you doing consulting now too a little bit for just, companies? Just just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not quite sure if that is my thing or not, uh-huh. uh, but, it's, but it's good to dabble and, and explore and learn a little bit about myself. But they and, certainly want to know how you grew this business so fast. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they want to know some of the things they should do. They, they do. Yeah. yeah. So what do you tell them? What, I mean, when they ask? Well, it, it's it's actually a bit of a challenge. And I was kind of curious, you know, what that was like for you. And uh-huh. you in, initially engaged mm-hmm. us uh, so many years ago now. It's mm-hmm. over 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's, it's really trying to get a feel for... Um, taking an inventory of, you know, how, how healthy is the place mm-hmm. and, and is the foundation there for learning? Good point. Is, is the foundation, does that include change and, mm-hmm. and how willing and how badly they want to change? Because uh-huh. that's what it, it requires. Yeah. A lot of learning and change yeah. and grit and hard work and challenging yeah. status quo. And not everyone is up for that. No, that's no. exactly right. That's, that's hard stuff. Yeah. And it's really a little disappointing on my part uh, in the co- companies that I've consulted with over the last 25 years who uh, <clears throat> didn't have that fire in their belly. They, they kind of wanted some kind of a secret sauce that mm. they thought if they put that on, it would help everything. Yeah. But you knew that it wasn't going to help Yeah. Uh, no matter what they did. I was yeah. thinking back to our relationship, um, what was it, probably 2003 mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh my recollection is that we were we were really hungry mm-hmm. and wanted to change. Yes. Um, not only I mean we knew we needed to, mm-hmm. but we really wanted to. Yeah. And you know I'm not sure what our batting average was with everything you threw at mm-hmm. us, but we sure uh, tried hard to implement as much as we could as actually, fast as we could. Yeah, actually the batting average was pretty high. I mean obviously with anything new, we had to correct the the trajectory once in a while a little bit. But you always are going in the right direction. You always were going forward with it because yeah. this is something that you wanted to employ. Uh, you really wanted to, to do it. And you may not have did it the way I would have done it, but I think sometimes you did it better than I would have done it because you applied it to your business. The biggest thing I found with working with you was you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And you wanted that to make it happen. So yeah, this whole willingness concept uh, that drives you want it is everything. And yeah. you guys wanted it. We, we did. Yeah. We absolutely did. Yeah. You know, and I think to recognize each person has their own style, mm-hmm. we can take what we learn and, and apply it yeah. uh, in, in yeah. somewhat of our way. Um, you know, also thinking back to, Rod, we were with you for uh, about three and a half years. Um, I went to the very first entree leadership that Dave Ramsey's company mm-hmm. uh, put on. Five years later, I did it again. Uh, and there were some key people there, um, Daniel Tardy, Chris Licardo, that, that really... Uh, they taught taught us a lot. Yep. A lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. You have that open mind and you're willing to learn always learning, right? Y- yeah. Yeah. Gotta keep sharpening the, the saw. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what you'll continue to do with your career now, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Uh, I think that you are a lifelong learner. I think you are a lifelong conqueror of some level. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, uh, over the years from now on uh, you've got a, a great opportunity to do whatever you want to do. And could come back here whenever you want and, and say, hey, this is a part of my legacy, which I'm yeah. very proud of. Yeah. And you and I talked before the podcast today about when you walk in the door to see how many more employees are here, how many more families are, are making a great living 
love have a great job because of what you started you and heather started uh back years ago right so that's got to be a pride for you absolutely uh it's uh, it's uh, it really is. It's a joy yeah. coming in the doors. I think first, just you know, seeing the building and, and they're taking good care of it, and, and the lawn looks great. And mm-hmm. coming in and, and seeing, uh, yeah, seeing a lot of original team members. Yeah. Uh, I mean, turnover rate here is is next to none, mm-hmm. and to see them adding new high quality people is yeah. uh, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Absolutely. Something else you told me before the podcast was that basically your role as the company grew was to really be the team. Uh, coordinator, uh, making sure that the team was doing okay. Uh, you still got involved in day-to-day processes, obviously, decisions that were made, big decisions like building this facility, you know, planning it, you and Heather planning this whole facility here. Um, but it was really about, is the team coordinated? Is everybody working together? Are we doing all right? It, that yeah. one-on-one thing you talked about. So um, I just want to congratulate you again, and thank you for being on our podcast today. Uh, if there's a couple of things I've taken away from the day that are for sure uh, things that I already kind of knew from you, is that you're a people person. You really uh, are fully um, invested in your employees. They are the key to what your growth was at Melbourne Seed. Um, you also make sure that they're okay, uh, that they are having a good time or like their job. Uh, and I think that's where you're where you get the pride and. and uh, you know, uh, get get your. I think it helps you achieve your goal. Is, did I say it right? Yeah, I think you've yeah. captured it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, so just yeah, so many memories, and I mean, part of it, we still have these little video clips of uh, of our kids putting labels on bags. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, just you know, so many tasks to yeah. do. But yeah, it's it's it was it was a really good run. Great run. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations, and uh, thank you for being our podcast today. We sure appreciate it. Thank you, Rod. Yeah. Thanks for having me, and also for all the you know blood, sweat, and tears you poured into us. It was my privilege. Yeah, I'm the one who want, who got the best deal part of this deal. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us today on our Seatfeller Academy podcast. We really appreciate it. I look forward to more coming down the road. Have a great day.